0: Hi, this is Catherine Lemmer. I'm the executive director of the Lake Forest Library, and you are listening to The Lake Forest Podcast.
1: Welcome to The Lake Forest Podcast, a podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, and food. My name is Pete, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sku Walker and Lori Fitzgerald. We all live in Lake Forest. Sku, we have a sponsor for the show. Guess who it is? Neurodoodle. noodle dakota dakota insurance group stew they've got your back you should say why why because we take care of you dolly insurance your insurance needs because that's what friends are for dakota insurance handles all your residential and commercial insurance needs get a quote now at dakota ask for pam okay full disclosure I like that one <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Full disclosure. You know, the the podcast is getting big when I got to read stuff like this. Okay. We ready? I, Pete Jansons, am on the caucus volunteer committee. I am an advocate of the caucus and I am trying to educate the community so we have more people volunteering to pitch in. I am not a caucus or city government expert. I do my best to bring on experts to educate all of us. Heads up. We will make mistakes on the show. And we will not edit our guest comments. We will post corrections in chat and welcome people to come on the show to correct us. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is to shed light on local issues, and the library has been a topic of discussion lately. Today, we're joined by Catherine Lemmer. She's the executive director of the Lake Forest Library. Let's chat with Catherine and see what's going on at the library. Catherine, thanks for coming on the show. Thank
0: you. It's a pleasure to be here. I think, uh... I would just like to throw out i know you put out your um, statement about the caucus but i know that i've been very privileged to work with 14 volunteers in the last five years as board members they are dedicated thoughtful people Um, i go to many meetings with library directors who talk about their boards just disintegrating into yelling screaming matches and nothing gets advanced or solved and so I think the caucus is doing a marvelous job for the library. As I said, 14 very talented and dedicated people over the last five years. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Catherine. And Stu was also uh, on the caucus. Uh, he was uh, award chairman. Laurie is going to be coming on the next caucus, right? Laurie, we're coming after ending.
0: you. Yep. Yep. Uh, the application pending approval.
1: But it's, pretty, it's
0: pretty brutal commitment, too, right? Don't you meet like twice a twice a month for pretty extended meetings, nine months uh, a year?
1: It's a lot of interviewing, and especially some of the contested boards. You know, I'm learning because I've only been around a year, Catherine, and I, you know, people hear me on the podcast and they expect me to be an expert, and that's the last thing that I am. That's why I got to make sure I get Scoo and you know, Lori, Lori on here to help me keep it straight. Yeah. Now, before we get into the weeds of the library, uh, let's get to know you a little bit first, uh, Catherine. You, you've been there five years, right?
0: Coming up on my fifth anniversary, May 16th. It's been uh, a really fun ride. I've, I've worked in law, I've worked in higher ed, I've worked in public finance. And so um, this was a, a nice progression. We'd lived in Chicago a long time ago, so we wanted to work our way back to the Midwest. And uh, when this position came up, I think I had a good skill set. The library needed operational and um, administrative sort of readjustments and said we've done a lot of that work in the last five years, talking about right. everything um, financially and HR-wise, all, all those operational things that um, really were small business. We're about a $4.3 million operating budget. So all those things you should have in place um, for good fiscal management, that's what we've been working on for the last... Um couple of years as well as the capital improvement project.
1: Oh, don't worry, we're gonna get into that, Kathy. <laughs> that's we <that's> right. We're, a... <laughs> we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be real nice to you now. Where okay. where in where in Chicago did you live?
0: This time around we're in Rogers Park. So, um, Rogers Park. Okay. so we're right uh, just south of Evanston.
1: Bryn Mawr area, Bryn Mawr Street. Just yeah, just there. a little
0: bit north. We we live one block from Loyola University on by, right by the yeah. way.
1: So Go to the Green Mill Lounge. Great um, great music, great yes. jazz. At, ask for Dave Gemlo. Tell him Big Pete sent you.
0: I will. Take I will. All right. All right.
1: <laughs> Do you like to hang out in Lake Forest?
0: We like to come up for the LOL farm markets on the weekends. Uh, we, I mean, then we usually just stay for the walk. Um, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite places is the True Value Hardware store over in uh, the plaza over on the west yeah. side. So this reminds me of home. So that's where I oh. like it. You can get everything there. Like I, my, our house was built in 1918. So, you know, nothing ever fits or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Whenever we need something weird, we go there. Plus you can buy a wedding gift, brain boots. You can just get own. everything. Chris
1: Morgan yeah.
0: just did my grill. Mm-hmm.
1: What, Scoo, Do you know the guy? So oh, oh, I forget his name. I get my keys done there all the time. Always takes good care of me. I forget his name. Sure.
0: Chris. Chris Yeah, Chris.
1: And his mom. Cool dude. And his mom. Cool, cool dude. Haven't met the mom yet. What other, what, what else do we have to know about you, Catherine? So people will be real nice to you. You always. uh, How'd you get? How'd you get into library business? How do you do that?
0: So my husband is a very talented person and we got uh, invited to move with his career a couple of times. And at one point I was licensed to practice law in three different states and I said, this is crazy. So uh, we were in a community on the far uh, Western part of Illinois and the library director just started talking to me one day about public finance and and the situation she was having. And so I started working with her to set up a, a foundation for them. And they just announced that they're going to build their big library. They just got it fully funded uh, and it will they're going to break ground. So it was 10, 12 years, but it's done. And so that just sort of got me interested. And I've always, I mean, everything I've ever done has been about information and the power of information. Every volunteer activity I've ever been in, and, and just understanding that if you give young people information, it gives them hope you know, drives down teenage pregnancy rates, increases high school graduation rates. It's just, it's all about making information available. So libraries are a pretty good extension for me.
1: I like, that. I like that policy, making information available. That's what we're trying to do with this podcast. Cause you have so many different silos in town of information and there's different perceptions, different versions of what, what's going on. And we, you know, we try to get it all out here. School board's done. Okay, that was a that was a doozy. Okay, now <laughs> now we got the library board and the library. We've had so many people send in questions and notes and and whatnot. And isn't I'm that right, glad. Lori? Did... Uh,
0: I mean, I think that's exciting. I think that's really exciting for this community because uh, if you went to any of our listening sessions that we had two weeks ago, it was all about. That the, li- that the library is such an important asset that it, it, it shouldn't be surrounded in controversy. And I really believe this. I really believe that if everyone can listen, both ways, both ways, right, everyone right, right. can listen. There's so many moving pieces on this project. It's not a soundbite project. And that's a big challenge nowadays because everybody wants a soundbite answer. You know, the city council is working with the library board, the library's board working with all the all the interests on, you know, it's a big, long spectrum of interest. And so getting them all sorted out. And, you know, that's what Lake Forest does. Right.
1: You get
0: you get sorted to the middle that works the best for everyone.
1: So so what are the issues from your standpoint, Catherine, and then I will come come at you with what we have and kind of figure it out.
0: Sure, let me tell you what what I often respond to, and maybe that will help set the stage. And I'm willing to talk about this, and I can talk about it for a very long time, so feel free to say enough is enough, Catherine. It's an issue of competing interests. So we have lots of people that would like the library to deliver more and different services than some people in the community use or feel are important, right? And with each of those services comes a square footage requirement. One of the things the library board did is they educated themselves about what does it mean if you say that you're gonna put this service in a building? Like how much square footage is aligned with that, right? What does it mean if you say, children should not be picking books off the of shelves that are seven and a half feet high. They should pick books off the of shelves that are three and a half so that they can engage with them. Like, what does that mean from an educational point of view, right? And that gets a square footage and you add those all up and you get to some number. And it becomes a big number of square footage, right? So what happens then is you then take that big number and you say, you can't build that on this site. It's not that much space isn't available and you start slicing down. What what are really critical, how can you make spaces be dual purpose for different parts of the day? And then you plant it where you can on your site. And that's one of the things this library board did. At some point it becomes challenging because it's big then becomes a challenge. Under
1: under the, I'm sorry, Catherine, under the headline topic, this would be the the expansion project. That's what we're talking about. Okay, okay. So,
0: and and part of it is this library approach the project in a couple of ways. One, it didn't seem to make sense to start to deal piecemeal with the projects. So we know we have a a million dollar dome project, 1.4 to 1.6 million dollar HVAC system problem, because we have five HVAC systems, don't talk to each other, we don't have any way to manage them, there's no operating control on, right? So you start adding those all up, then you start adding up what people would like your library to do, and then you add up the fact that we know have known since 2012 that we have about a $1.8 million ADA compliance issue. So many parts of the building you cannot get to if you're in a wheelchair. Um, if you have a child that has a, a mobility issue and is using a walker or a wheelchair, there are parts of the children's library they can't get to. So all of this you know, starts to coalesce from a library service perspective. And you talk about then from a looking at it from a financial point of view. So we have two, two wings, an east and west wing that went on in 1978. They need X dollars to get them to a certain point of functionality. That's a dollar cost that's more per square foot than if you build that into the back, right? So that's an option, right? It's an option that makes the preservation people very happy because if the east and the west wing come off, if you go and you stand at the historic gate on Deer Path and you look up, the building really resumes its prominence on the hill, the way it should look. We are talking about bringing the historic path brought back up. But the challenge then is it has to be on the north. The lot is so constrained It has to go up. We can't go underground. We've talked about underground. We've talked about parking underground. So really lots of things have happened over the last years that have been thought about. And I think what happens is when you come out and you say, we've been thinking about all these things and we've investigated all these things and this is our recommendation. It's hard for people to say, I didn't read the footnotes, right? and so you know the right. goal for the library board is really now, right? so the goal for the library board now is to really uh show city council uh, what i call it like we're going to show them the work right here are all the things we thought about here are all the things they cost uh, what they cost if you don't want to build this big this is what you give up right mm-hmm. so it will really be a presentation uh to city council um because they're they're, they're a major player in this project because uh, some of this in this public-private partnership will be borne by the taxpayer. And so the library board is very conscious of that. They didn't just take um, points of view along the way that said, build build the biggest you can and, and put gold laminated shelves in, right? you know, They were very conservative financially and they questioned everything. Some of the cost comes in. If you wanna put a flat roof on it, you save a little money. Does that look like really what you'd want in a historic preservation district? Mm. A gabled roof with slate is probably what you want. That's a little added cost. So when they go back to city council, they will essentially, I think you can, the the soundbite on that is sort of show the work, why things happen, what what you get, what you don't get, and then um, work with city council to sort of design, define the scope of the project. And then once that's done, I think everyone has all the confidence in the world and the HPC to get the outside right.
2: I, don't, I know we were shut down for a while for COVID and I think some of the services are still limited um, at the library. We getting, yeah,
0: um, yeah, we were we were only closed for 60 days. So we okay. we were back up already distributing new to materials. Um, we've been doing virtual programming and uh, material distribution since last July. We've had the building open like there's been, I think, seven or eight service shifts in the last year so, I might not have the exact dates. Public came back into the building for a short time in the fall. Then there was a go- new governor's order and we went back out. But we are um, open six days. We're physically open six days a week. People can come into the building. They can pick up their holds, use the computers. Self-check has become very popular in, yeah. in COVID. We're beta testing that. So we've been full, full cadre of programs. All our book clubs are Zoom online programs. Uh, author visits so yeah we've been are we getting i guess my my question
2: is are we getting the foot traffic into the building to help justify the need for all the additional space i guess that would that's my sure
0: yeah part of what drives this one fraction of i think how to think about the space needs is we provide stuff right books and steam kits and books on tape and all of that and that all takes a certain amount of square footage that's not gonna go away in this community. This is still a very physical item driven community and it's going to be for a while. So the space that's sort of being thought about for those uses is is already being wired and everything else so that as that transitions out in 15 years, 20 years, I don't don't have a golden ball. And then we talk about what kind of spaces people are asking for to engage in the library. So uh, where to hold the book clubs and all of that. And those spaces are in high demand and then the newest kid on the block in library services is people want a room where they can uh, you know, sit for a test because they're taking a class online and they got to be in a proctored exam area or they want to interview an Annie, And so those small glassed in rooms, we've thought a lot about how services have already changed because of COVID and, and they're sort of on the ends of the spectrum. So one thing COVID says is we can no longer have small closed in areas, we need wider aisles, and I'm like, okay, that's more space, but wider aisles, less chairs at a table, more smaller tables, all of that kind of thinking about how COVID works. And then also that people are now working from home and they want a space for a one-hour meeting and they all, all of that kind of activity. They don't want a stranger coming into their house when they can sign their mortgage payments at home. They want to do that somewhere in a setting where it's private and, and safe and all of that. Tutors are coming. I think tutoring did go online. I've he- heard some success, but our tutors are waiting to come back in the building to um, sit with their um, students. And you know, we are about the safest place in town for that kind of activity. You know, you're not behind a closed door in someone's home when the parents aren't there. You aren't in a closed school building. So, um, mm-hmm. so the demand is on actually sort of going up for interactive places um, and how we reconnect because people are tired of doing a Zoom book club. They want to see their neighbor across the table.
3: Is it building towards COVID, current COVID concepts, short-sighted? Because we're Um, supposed to be going back to normal?
0: Well, I think how I think about it is architectural materials that I've been trying to keep up with is we... Are going to be in a post-pandemic world for the rest of our lives. COVID was just the first shot across the bow, so thinking about how we prepare for the next one is being built into. So every new building is that's being is going up. I'm sure is really looking at how are they designing their spaces for air filtration, for air air movement, um, and all of that. So we're not. COVID is our new I hate this hate these kind of cliche things but you know it's our new normal we're we're will you ever ride in an Uber without a plastic shield between you again. I don't know. I don't think so.
1: So Getting getting back to so the first issue is the expansion. I'm just trying to understand it that there's people that say we don't need the 25 million budget something like that for the expansion is that right.
0: It's a twenty-four, it's a twenty-four million dollar project in total. So they okay. it, if you don't do anything,
1: if the community yeah.
0: says, we don't, we don't want to do anything except make sure the building keeps standing and it has heating and air conditioning in it, which there are a lot of days we don't have, and they don't really care about ADA, that ticket is somewhere between eight to 10 and a half million. Challenging situation because it's hard to look at a community and say, we need 10 million just to modernize the building, but not add anything new, right? Like don't give you, yeah, don't, I mean, that's don't, (laughs) we're not gonna give you any more space in your children's room.
1: School and Laura, I mean, is that what the- No, I just, I'm trying to figure out, you know,
3: what I've heard mumblings and rumblings, but I guess my point is, okay, so what's the issue? The library is a what 100 year old building Mm -hmm. or maybe not a hundred, but 90, (laughs) 90. So it has stuff has to be done to it. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's the issue? Are are these people that once again, we got people who are the experts and everything without understanding what's going on, spouting off and saying, Oh, you can't do that. Well, there's stuff that has to be done. And the plan, I believe it, Catherine, this is, this is kind of your master plan and it's gotta be approved and, you know, accepted and all this other stuff has to go on before you know, stuff starts
1: happening. But I mean, is the issue that we need the space for the expansion? Because some people are saying, "Well, we don't issue. need." Okay. Um, I think.
2: The, yeah, I think everybody agrees that the library is is one of the gems in town. You know, and it's I I live I live you know in East Lake Forest, and I drive past that building a couple of times a day. Um, and it's been kind of depressing to see that big you know the dome covered up. Um, You know, it's been kind of depressing. And um, so I think the concern is, you know, folks want to see the building maintained and restored, you know, to, you know, to its original architecture and, um, and maybe question like, do we need to have additional spaces for all these meetings and stuff like that, because we have other, you know, other buildings in town, such as the Gorton Center, such as you know the Park and Recreation Department, you know, even just up the street. Um, I know my daughter's Girl Scout troop. We met at um, at the Rotary. So there's other, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different um, unique spaces in town that we can utilize, and maybe we don't need to spend an additional ten million dollars on an expansion that we could just restore and modernize, you know, obviously the ADA is very important, but modernize the building, restore it, and, um, and then focus on, um, you know, like some, like, you know, expanded services and technology and. The difference of the 10
1: million, the plan, is this something that's voted on? You have the library board, like it's proposed to them. How does this, okay, so, if it's an issue, how does it, Right. how does it all resolve itself so yeah.
0: um so i just i just quick take lori's question or sure, sure, so sure. um the 10 million doesn't get you doesn't address ada compliance the way you get this building ada compliant is you do a significant i i, I can't ethically say renovation you have to remove the north wing and rebuild it because the elevator is not ada compliant and you cannot fix that sizing. We have shelving on the first floor that holds up the second floor. So there's just no way to bring that. And that modernization, even at that wing throughout is about another 10 million. So it's not It's not that we're, you know, from a meeting space perspective, we currently have a room that seats 130. We were thinking about taking it to 150, probably we'll just stay at 130. Like we're not building an auditorium when we mm-hmm. need an auditorium, we partner with Gorton. We partner with them about twice a year because we bring in programs that are about 300 people. There's no way it, it doesn't make sense, you know. And, and um, I gotta add,
3: there's gotta be with ADA compliant with any old building is gonna be an astronomical type of to price ticket. And right, you gotta and to we, do we, we a tend
0: to, always a gun. These things all live on a spectrum how much grandfathering will we have once we start to open up walls to to run new HVAC? I don't know, like, does that trigger the whole project, the whole building having to be ADA compliant? So I would say that, you know, the jewels of the proposed project are getting the children out of the basement and really getting Mm -hmm. their space to a place that um, is reflective of what libraries are offering right now. Once you bring them out of the basement, you have a little extra space to play with. You drop in two or three study rooms that hold two to four people. That's really not what's driving this. What's really driving it is the, the structure of the building, getting the children out of the lower level, getting their materials at a level that they can interact with it. And I mean, we currently have a teen library. I don't know if you've been in the library lately, but our teen library is kind of sad. You know, I. Especially
1: when it rains. <laughs> oh, God. You're going to fix that?
0: <laughs> so, so we
1: Permacel in there. So
0: we did. Um, you know, we had a, we've had a lot of requests for a teen library over the years, and they had like two or three shelves and a bench. And so, we thought about what we could do. We found a half a floor, seven hundred and fifty square feet, a half a floor. The kids came in, they painted, they got to pick from a range of carpets. We put plugs in that are grounded. That was the most expensive piece of the whole project, and it's jam packed with kids. It's someplace different than Croya. Like Croya has a has a very important purpose here, highly used by middle schoolers, highly social. These the kids we see are the ones that need four hours to be quiet to study for the SAT, or they, our teen librarian um, interacts a lot with them. So I think a lot of the questions I get is why why do you need a teen? like this just, just pick them. why do you need a teen space why do you need a teen space they can go to Corey and I said well we already have a teen library it's 750 square feet we'd like to move it to 900 so that we can have a little more shelving because our collection moves through so fast so there's not a lot of fat built into this project um,
1: right. so well, everybody has it in inter- the headline is you know more meeting space and it's and it's yeah. more than just that is what you're saying. So, I mean, it, people I need to understand that. Is it?
0: Sure. No, but, I think this is so, so um, perfect. Like one of the things we did in the listening sessions is we had a little fact and fiction on the front end. And I said, we're not building the Marriott in our basement. Well, first of all, it's not big enough to have a Marriott, Marriott conference center, right? So what we would like to do is we would like to actually use the one space that we have by making it a little bigger. Um, but if that's just not something community is going to, if they feel that that increase of 700 square feet in that one room is just something they don't wanna talk about, it's fine. We, that doesn't need to be done. We have um, lots of uses for that room. Um, the other thing that got a lot of people frustrated is um, why do you need a creative space, a maker space? You know, they come under many, many many topics, right? Many, many names. So we currently have a first-generation media lab. It gets you, about 600 uses a, a year people book it. It's a primarily a data transfer. So um, if you know people in the community, Lucille Adams has published some of her photography books through our media lab. His name is escaping me. Um, A Wonderful gentleman came in, digitized hundreds of photos and slides that he took during his tour in Vietnam. Um, Happy Dat comes in. She brings in a lot of little smaller nonprofits that we help them make their logos and all of that. But we get a lot of questions for like Why don't you have a 3D printer? Or I want to come in with my child or grandchild, and we want to do this or that. And and we say we just don't have the space. So we'd like to open up our capability in that area. Um, Yes, the college has a beautiful thing. They have a molecular maker space, but that's not open to the public. The high school is not open to the public. And sometimes kids like to come home from grade school and say, look at the cool thing I did. Do you want to go do one with me at the library? Right. So, um, and these aren't, We take the makerspace out of this. It's not a big ticket price item. So again, this was a very conservatively um, thoughtful project. So to answer Pete's question, because you didn't rein me back in, is the process is this, is the library board will go back to city council with um, the results of the listening session. They are um, working with a national firm. We had intended initially to do the survey ourselves because we have expertise on staff and we have the, the technological resources in t- in-house to launch a survey and do them. But we wanted to make sure it was very transparent, very open, no way um, if there was any you know, feeling of bias. And so we've retained Burgess and Burgess and they will come in and they will do um, They're going to do a snap survey, something called a snap survey, and then from that data, they will do a full resident survey, and that should all be happening um, in the month of May. I mean, if we had done it internally, we would have already rolled it out because we have already processed information within the listing sessions, but can't exactly walk into a national firm and say hey we want to retain you and we need it tomorrow so uh, so hey, we're Cameron, working with them
3: you you guys have listed the listening sessions and all that but do you i mean you have a lot of hit lists like 3d printers and all that you guys take donations from the public
0: brand. right so we have a um we have a library foundation that was set up because part of part of the research that went into this project was to really understand what the appetite in the community was for this project. So back in 2019 and 2020, we um, had a um, capital campaign consultant come in. He met with over 40 unique individuals in the community to to understand what the library sort of meant to the community. So he met with people that have funded other large projects people who haven't, but ha- had an interest in the library and who were also just leaders in the community. And they all had interviews. Like the library was not part of that. We weren't in the room. We weren't able to inf- make any influence. So those are conducted that way. And at the end of those interviews, they came back in uh, February. They met with senior city staff and the mayor and they met with the library board independently and they gave the report and you know said, This is what we feel is the philanthropic interest in this project. And this is what we think the taxpayer's interest is. So, And they put that number together. Our our architects have sort of been working separately because as a library, we always engage in zero-based budgeting. So how we approach our budget every year is we think, what do we need for next year as a dollar, right? And we add that all up and then we say, Okay, we never say, oh, our levy is going to produce this many dollars, spend it, right? We work from need and then we assess whether or not we we can actually fund everything. And, and if we can't, we start cutting back, right? And so that's how this project really was, is like we were told this was the need. The architect said, this is how you can build this, not with granite countertops, but with you know, some lesser reasonable thing, you know. When you build your kitchen you get a viking stove or or you get the sears model right we well we pick somewhere in the middle because it's a a lake forest project
1: Catherine, part of this project does it include the the dome yes yeah what okay great can you give us a quick rundown on the dome we have people that move it to lake forest you know every couple years and i i've been here two three years and i just see the the saran ramp around the, the top what the heck is going on over there? Start from so, the beginning. Talk to me like I'm a 10-year-old in the so, basement.
0: Um, unfortunately, again, not a soundbite story. So yeah. in, in 2017, if you've been in the library, you know we have the um, Nikolai Remsnoff murals. They're on canvas. And I, we just started to see stuff happening behind them, right? And we couldn't convince our architect, we could not convince our insurance Companies that it was driven from rain through the dome or any of that. But before we even got to that, you know, we had a contractor come out and he said, I do all the church domes in all of this part of Illinois. I know how to do domes and this is going to be a $375,000 project, but I don't do the masonry work. You need to get another person. So we had another company come in because the masonry work supporting the dome was um, showing signs of decay. That was going to be another 100,000. But he said, I don't do the limestone, the limestone pedestal. So I was like, "Okay, now we have three people, and they're all going to be pointing their fingers about what doesn't work when the work is done. And so that was sort of the first problem that we experienced that was starting to approach well over six figures, approaching at that time about 700,000. And I think the library board said, we need to to think about this holistically, because if we don't do that, we're looking at a million here, a million there, and all of this. And so so they, they did a national call for architects. We require that every architect that wanted to bid, we highly recommended, because obviously some people are coming from California, they didn't want to make the trip or whatever. We said, we highly recommend that you come on site and you walk the building. So you understand what you're doing. We interviewed six of those. We chose HGA. So in 2018, they did two projects for us. One was they assess, uh, they assessed the entire building, all the structures, all the functions, all the historic work. They had done domes. They had done historic buildings. They had done libraries. They had done public buildings across the country. So they, they were a good match for us on so many fronts. They did a separate report on the dome for this reason. The dome was built in 1931, obviously when the building was built, it has leaked since day one. 1984, it's a leaded copper dome with a metal understructure sitting on a brick uh, brick pedestal with four limestone corners. In 1984, the dome, whoever was in charge of the building at the time said, I'm done with the leaking, fix the dome. So they they replaced the leaded copper. did not do three things that would have been really important. They didn't change any of the water removal systems. There's an external removal system and an internal removal system. And they didn't add any additional ventilation. So the dome uh, continued to have moisture issues. Uh, you know, I've come to learn, it's, it's also what, 30 some years later, the seams, the soldering on the seams wasn't done right. I'm like, well, 30 years things exchange, right? So part of the solution with the dome is that we could do something as simple as just do leaded copper again. That's not gonna solve the brick problem, which is a soft brick that's wicking and causing effervescence. And the water removal systems have are driving the water into the seams of the limestone pedestal. So we know one of them has shifted. One of them may have cracks deep inside. I said, enough, we're not bringing in an x-ray machine. We have a good idea what the project is. So, Is it safe to be in there? um, We still think so. We're still here. We get it inspected routinely. So, I mean, we do, we haven't seen any additional water damage. Um, We had all the effervescence cleared away so that we can kind of monitor the situation. But what will happen if we, when the dome is redone, one thing is we can, um, we will go to HPC and we will say, um, we will be changing the historic look, like we need to shift the gutters. We need to cut some vents in the brick, like we can do it in certain parts where it won't show, but it's a it's a HPC question, right? Um So then, Catherine,
3: with, with the, uh, sorry to interrupt you. But no, no, with, like
0: with, I said, thank you for interrupting. I can talk too much. With the
3: dome, the dome needed to be fixed and- the non-sexy repairs, like all the internal stuff that has to be brought up probably to not code, but functionality. Um, You say kind of that's a $10 million ticket without ADA. I guess my question is ADA of all things with building is probably the most important. So how long, is there a timeline that you could go without ADA requirements or is that something that needs to be looked at immediately?
0: The, the question becomes is how much can you do before you trigger the ADA grandfathering? And that's just not, you know, we're not, we haven't parsed that question out, you know. But isn't somebody, that the most important? Um, well, I think if you, if city council were to come back say the scope of this project is a is a repair and resuscitate, you know, like just keep the billing standing at that point, you know, there are options, right? in the sense of the idea has to make a, an ADA accessible option, uh, access point in oh, right. the north. And I, and of, I guess right. my
3: point is if you go back in city council, which is part of your whole requirement in the first place, and they say, let's just get the guts fixed first, ADA still is.
0: still challenge, still a challenge. It there has are, to you be know, done. Right, I mean, right. from an ethical standpoint.
3: If the elevator is like, not, not ADA compliant, you got to get an elevator. ADA compliant before you had a, you
0: know. Right, I mean, the the all of that, all of the most significant ADA problems can be solved in the North Wing. One of the things we investigated was sort of doing kind of a ramp through the front lawn to get an ADA access point on the front, right? And, and you get find
3: for all the times you're not compliant. That's, I guess, my question I'm asking is, at what point, if you kick that can down the road, when is it? you yeah,
0: know, we got to get this uh, done. Right, what we, we are still living in the grandfather bubble and how- And when does that
3: bubble burst when you add on? Right, uh,
0: the bubble will open, the bubble could open even if we don't add on, if we did That's a lot of asking. interior work, right. I, I don't have that very specific okay. answer, I'm sorry.
1: I'm, We're getting in the weeds here and it's yeah. kind of what I want to do. The, the issue was the expansion and it's more than just getting meeting meeting space. Part of that money is going to go to make it compliant, fix that dome. I brought up the dome because everybody's wondering what the hell happened. If We had a magic wand. How could we fix that thing? And it will be fixed with part of this $24 million deal, right? Correct. Uh, Okay. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'm I'm the one that asked it and I'm not cutting you off. Like I said, I'm going to let you go. But for the people out there, so they understand what's going on. I'm going to leave the expansion and I'm going to go to I got a bunch of people asking me what is the deal with the COVID policy in the 14 days on the books and whatnot, it, it, get, getting the books and then also donating books for the book sale and whatnot. Can you touch on that? Because that was a, pr- a pretty big one.
0: Sure. Um, I'm happy to. So, When COVID launched into our lives in March of uh, last year, libraries were sort of left out of the discussion, right? Everybody focused on like, what can retail do? What can restaurants do? What can the post office do? What can a bank do, right? So library land went out. And so the um, Institute of Museum and Library Sciences and um, partnered with OCLC, which is another big library organization and Batille Lab out of Ohio. And they started testing how long the virus lives on library materials, right? Because libraries are very different. Like you go to a restaurant you get your food on the, you pick it up in the alley or wherever, it's gone. It never comes back. Like we know our books go into bathtubs. (laughs) We know they go into beds, they get read on the sofa, they get read while people are eating. Um, And we have all of these different components. Like we have plastic cases and we have, Nintendo chips and we have DVDs and we have paperback books and some have plastic covers. So, virus lives differently in all of these spaces. And when COVID first came down, the people that were ahead of the game were some of the libraries in the EU and uh, they had already done some quick testing and they were moving on a 14 day quarantine. We all, all of us live with that for about a couple of weeks. Right. And so as more research came out of this, um, they call it the realm study, uh, reopening archives, libraries, and museums, that research it's online. It's linked from our website as they did their research, the quarantine period started to come down. So we're at 48 hours. We do this for a couple of reasons. One, like I said, our books come back from bathrooms and bedrooms and all of this Mm. and we hold them for 48 hours because we know the virus still is around on library materials for five to seven days. Can it transfer from an item to the air to get into somebody? We don't know but we know by being somewhat cautious we have kept 51 people in the building. We've had no instances of COVID in our staff and we've had no incidences of a, of a patron reporting it. So it's, it's a small safety measure because we don't have any air filtration in our building. Our air does not turn. So- Do you guys
1: use U- UV lights at all?
0: Um, we don't, we, we, we did some initial research into that and we, um, the machines are relatively expensive. They process very few at a time. And given that we know that it's airborne, we're just trying to keep it out of our air
1: getting just portable UV lights in, in a box of aluminum foil and just putting the books in there. I'm just telling you, ask around, you know, I'm sure. not a librarian. I'm just saying, you know, the the lights are, you know, 30 bucks and it, maybe it could be something because 48 hours is definitely better than 14 days. Okay. So that's right. a misconception that's out there. Yeah. And, um, and, um, I,
0: and we don't charge fines so, you know, yeah. we don't close anybody's account because something's sitting in our closet for two days. And it, it's a measure of safety that's fairly painless. It doesn't really, like, that's our library materials. And so um, we've actually yeah. been working. We've been in really constant communication with the friends over the last, we had a meeting two weeks ago. Um, they took donations in December at the pop-up shop. They're going to take donations again at the upcoming pop-up shop
1: so for the donations in the book sale, that's a misconception or what, what are people, cause I, I don't know. I just had people no. say, Hey, we want to, we want to
0: donate s- books. Uh, and I think that, you know, we've been working with the friends to come up with a solution that, you know, friends
1: of a library, right?
0: Right. The friends of the okay. library. So okay. we were, at, we had, um, our last discussion with them is like, we just need three or four more weeks. Cause I want to get you know, library staff just became eligible as government employees for the vaccine. So, 90 some percent of my staff is moving through the second vaccine this week. And then two uh, weeks for permanent, right? Uh, permanent safety. Um so you want everybody to get their shots before you
1: do it, okay? Yeah, and I want
0: to get the ionization installed in the building. And we have five HVAC systems. So, that is coming in mid, mid to early May. And then, you know, they're going to collect books in the parking lot. So, Our lawyer, our insurance, (laughs) our insurer and the city safety officer all have to agree on how that gets done. So I would assume that, you know, mid-May, end of May, they'll be up and running in the parking lot. I don't, you know, what COVID did. We just took control away from everybody and everybody We're going to have people
1: that want to be stricter. People wanted to be, you know, less strict. I hear you. It's like, we're not judge and jury. It's, look, this is the situation. This is what you're doing. And... Yeah, school.
3: it is what it is. I mean, I don't yeah. people seem to get all worked up about little things that you know, I want something done yesterday. Just, yeah, you know, things have to work their process through.
0: Yeah, I have 51 people that come to work, you know, in this building, and they know it's a high risk building just because we can't turn the air. Right? The number of emails I got when Gordon posted that it was installing their ionization system and how easy that was because their system all lives on a roof and they have one system, right? It's a long list of emails I got and yeah, all the experts. And I said, we're investigating that. But again, remind you all, we have radiator heat and we have five HVAC systems. We will have to find a company that will sort of retrofit the spaces and it will never work as good as the Gorton system. but. That's we well, a new to make building, sure.
1: and you got an old yeah. building, right? <laughs> right. So, okay.
0: so, so it's just a, you know, and and so I I try and take care of my people. I try and say they're coming in every day. They're working really hard with community. We won another national award this January. Three weeks more of not taking donations to make everybody feel comfortable. I don't think is a real big ask. And and since we're having the conversations with the friends anyway um, about how to get it operational again. Hey,
3: Catherine, how, how big is that glass part of the building going? on?
0: Glass I'm just box. kidding. I'm just no, kidding. No, I, no.
3: I, I mean, I was told that there's this big glass box, yeah. like the high school.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I, I think you know what's. I'm really... kidding,
3: by the way, everyone. Oh, I know.
0: There, so, you know. I, I know. I think what's really hard. <laughs> no, he's not. Is they're they're sending the... Pete
3: emails right now. Like
0: I, I told you, so they're doing it. Um, you know, you have a you have nine volunteers who went out to educate themselves, and part of their education was understanding what the national. Um, standards are so the Secretary of Interior has very specific standards about what you can do for the treatment of a historic building. Those then are reinterpreted by the HPC because Lake Forest has um, its own historic preservation 17 standards. The library board said, "Well, what does that mean? Like one of the standards is like there should be a an equality of." of repetition in open spaces kind of thing. I'm saying it wrong, but you can go there and read the standards, right? So the so you know the architects came in and said, here's a spectrum of your options because it's how you interpret the standards. So they did sort of like a, an exercise of study, right? Where they said, you could have this one which I affectionately called the birdcage because I liked it, but I don't have a vote. It was like sort of a metal and, and glass and it, it was very cool. And library is like that's not going to go here. You know the glass isn't going to fly here. So really, trying to look at both ends of a spectrum, and then you know applying those standards to get to probably the most critical one when you do um, when you do an addition on the on a historic building. The standards nationally and locally are that the addition should stand alone. So. For instance, if you come and you look at the 1978 wings on the east and the west and the north, you can take them off and you won't damage the original building. So whatever you do to the existing building, the addition has to look of its time. Like you can't build an addition that looks exactly like Edwin Clark would have built because that would mean that you couldn't, it would it would damage the integrity of the initial building. So that's so that's that's where the glass box was, was sort of in this study. And, you know, Smith College just now put two glass buttons. Like they have two glass buttons on their library from 1779 or something like that. But they had space and the proportions worked. So here we just don't have any space. But we're really not even to that part yet. The city Council has to talk about the scope. And by scope, I mean... Is, is it going to be this resuscitation project or is it going to be a full scale this or is it going to be something in the middle, right? The library board's going to bring all that to them and then they're going to help the library board decide. And at that point, the architects start spending money again to make it look like it needs to look to meet all those standards.
1: I have a note here that 3% of the taxes goes towards the library. Some people are saying it's overfunded. Is I don't know if that's a Catherine question. Have you guys heard that? I, I've heard it. Could um, you could you sound a lot better than me? What is what are people beefing about? We're putting too much money in the library. What what's the issue?
2: No, I think what yeah, what I've heard is that um, yeah that we're we're taking taking the most um, tax levy possible and um, funding it towards the library, and um, and we're not actually using those funds. For current maintenance, um, that the money is just kind of sitting there and growing and growing and growing. So we have a very healthy financial balance sheet for the library, um, but the building is just continuing to deteriorate um, because we're we're waiting, you know, for this grand uh, project. So I think that's the I think that's the the rub.
0: So we have um. So what I what I always say about whatever the project is is yeah. Um, at the end, the architects will give you two things, the key codes to the building and a capital improvement plan, right? Because the, the new boilers or whatever you got will go in X number of years. So what's really in our um, capital reserve is about 3.4 million, which is you know not enough to address multiple issues. Certainly um, it will go into the overall project. Part of that is... Driven because we we actually take the lowest levy available to us. Than, so is that a
1: misconception? Uh, no, I just... it's
0: it's. I mean, we don't we don't over levy, and I think the there's no. It's not like we have the 3.4 million sitting in a um, fund in the market that's making a lot of money. So, did it would it have made sense to spend it on HVAC when we didn't know what? the building was going to be i mean one of the options on the table when this project started is that maybe this building's not worth this investment you know right. what's the highest and best use of this building and mm-hmm. at that point does it make sense to spend you know a million dollars on a dome if the library's not going to be here right. and because, you know so when when this all started Legit. one of one of the yeah one yeah. of the you know there are many people on the west side that say Why isn't the library moving to the west side? It's our opportunity to put a civic asset on the west side. And So when this came down back in 2018 and the building was assessed and the architects were asked for just kind of five generic ideas. Like, what if we put this on the back? What would that cost? What if we did this? What would it cost? I said, one of the things this library needs to know is what would it cost to build this square footage new on a green space? Because we need to understand what the premium is to say on this space. Obviously, the numbers are now three years old, but you know, if you compare the numbers from back then to and escalate everything. So back then it was 18.5 to build new. Obviously, that doesn't include land, right? Maybe you wouldn't even had to build as much because it would have been, it would function at 80 or 90% efficiency, where our building with even with the addition is going to function at 65% efficiency. And the comparable number was 24. So that gives you an idea that you have a premium for just staying on this lot. That was, I thought, important for the community to know. I mean, and to be as transparent as you can, the community should know what, what they're paying for. And part of it is, is to stay on this lot. Yeah, I
2: think I, I will say I think with the um, the location being so close to the middle school, you know, a lot of kids after school, I think that's one of the, the beautiful things for our children mm-hmm. is the ability to ride their bikes or walk uptown and have a space like the library that's easily, you know, easy for them to access after school. So I think that, you know, that's probably the big, the big draw about the location um, and certainly the historical you know the historical significance of the building,
0: and and, and um, we and just you know we're is. we're driving a, a thousand people into the CBD, right? So if the parent picks up the child at school afterwards or or whatever, we're you know Market Square is just across the, the way there. Like how many Walgreens stops and how many sweet shops and like I you know we know all the Starbucks cups that are in our trash and the Dunkin' Donuts cups that are in our trash. So mm-hmm. um, you know we we think that that's a really Mm-hmm. good component of this project. Like, why would we go be somewhere where we weren't essentially right. working as a community partner? Right.
2: Yeah. And I think the tax concern, I think the tax concern that that I had heard was that the 3% levy is actually the most you can take without having to get um, board approval to take more. So, So you can take less than 3%. Three percent is is just the so I, so I think that was the rub that you know that there is still a lot of tax money coming in and you know the friends of the library trying to do fundraisers and um, and COVID because you know the the building you know it just hasn't been as accessible as as normal and then an expansion project would put people out of the building for another, you know, what, year and a half?
0: Can I just, so I think there's like some numbers that are not exactly aligning, so. Let's go, align. So 3% is our share of the total tax bill. That's not our levy. In in a home rule, even though the Lake Forest is home rule, it abides by the non-home rule communities, which is you take the lesser of CPI or 5%, right? So um, if you want to go over 5%, you have to have public hearings and all of that. None of us want to get into that. Um, Last year, um, our levy was 2.3. This year, it will be 1.4. So even though we constitute, and when it's 3%, sort of where we are, you know, of the total tax bill. And I guess the other thing is, is the calculation has been run that if the project is a $24 million project, and if this is balanced through the library levy. It's $83 a year extra on your tax bill. Wait, I'm going to say 83. I think it's actually 79, but I'm going to say 83 just to get be more conservative. We'll give you so, the
1: spread. Okay.
0: 79 and a half. But so I think, you know, the 3% is what we are the piece of the bill. Some of, you know, the county gets some and the school gets some and all everybody else gets a piece of the total package. Um, but our draw in one year I was here is 0.9. So it's very conservatively uh, run. We have eliminated some HR benefits over the years because we just felt that we wanted to be more in alignment with, they didn't eliminate them for city staff, but we eliminated them for library staff. We um, have looked at all of our staffing because staffing is always the biggest thing for a small business, right? have thought about this very carefully uh, from a fiscally responsible point of view. I just encourage everyone to call and, or to email me or to come for a tour you can sign up for all of that on our library website, because again, where we started with this is, this is such an important part of the community and people shouldn't be upset about it because we're gonna work all the pieces, all of these random moving pieces, and we're gonna get it all done and we're gonna get it done right, because that's how Lake Forest does it. But in the meantime, if people have questions, come to the source so we can get you the right information. So you're contributing to the success of the project.
4: Exactly. So thank
0: you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really a a lot of fun.
1: Thank you. No, Catherine, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to the Lake Forest podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you'd like to hear about on the upcoming shows. Again, I'm Pete, and I can be reached at at PeteAtLakeForestIsle.blog. The link will be in the podcast notes below. On behalf of my co-host, Scoo Walker and Lori Fitzgerald, we thank you for listening. Cue the band.